Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. And welcome into the Friday, March the 29th edition. Second take on that intro. I said the 12th on the first attempt at it of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Robert Quinn officially traded. We'll unpack the details of the deal that sends him to Dallas and what it might mean going forward for the Dolphins. And a favorite emerges for me with the 13th pick if Miami are to stay put on draft night. Plus, it is Mock Draft Friday. We've got more Twitter questions and I'll disclose my top five marriages in Dolphins history. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast or the new Himalaya Podcast app. Check that out if you have not done so already. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Once upon a time, last March Madness, I was voted best follow on Dolphins Twitter. And you can find my work also up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the entire LockedOn network. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your draft needs, Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and the Draft Dudes Podcast to get you ready for the draft less than a month away. It's my last show with you guys before I go on vacation for a week, before I go get married and have my honeymoon on the island of Hawaii. Half of my bridal party, my groomsmen are already over there, so I'm flying out today, actually on Friday, to go join up with them. But again, we do have five shows already in the chamber for you guys focusing on the draft next week. So I'll have that as well as my draft big boards. Let's go ahead and jump in today's episode though because as we always do, it's a busy one. That's another Miami Dolphins. Robert Quinn officially traded on Thursday afternoon. I talked about the possibility of the Dolphins fetching a third round draft pick for him. And I think the reason I thought that was because of this bidding war the Dolphins had waged between the Saints and the Cowboys and the fact that maybe the Dolphins would pay off some of his salary. None of that happened. The Dolphins get a sixth round draft pick in return in 2020 with no salary commitments to Robert Quinn except for the $1.1 million they paid him in a roster bonus back in March. Early March, I should say. So basically the Dolphins ate $1.1 million of the current cap of Stephen Ross's money to buy a sixth round draft pick. You can say what you want about the value of that, but at least it puts the product out onto the football field and Steven Ross is willing to eat that money. So you know he's a... You have to commend the guy for what he wants to do. He wants to win. He might not know how to do it, but at least he commits all of his resources to the football team and trying to make them better. So what else does this mean? I thought that maybe the Dolphins would take on more of that salary and buy the higher draft pick because they've done it with Ryan Tannehill and they do have more cap room to do it. And to me, this says maybe they will do it with a Rashad Jones or with a TJ McDonald or maybe an Akeem Spence. There's all kinds of options and you guys can refer back to the article I wrote a couple weeks ago. I forget exactly when it was talking about some of these trade pieces, maybe Kenny Stills in there as well, that the Dolphins could sell off and do the exact same thing they did with Ryan Tannehill and partially with Robert Quinn. And maybe they wanted to save some more of that cap space they currently have this year to make a move for somebody else. 
I don't know. That's my speculation. But now the Dolphins have seven organic draft picks in 2020. They possibly have two comp picks, a third for sure for Jawan James, and possibly a fifth for Cameron Wake. That could go by the wayside based upon playing time for Ryan Fitzpatrick, who he is the starting quarterback. So unless he gets injured or the Dolphins draft a quarterback high, I imagine he will hit those escalators to get him more money and cost the Dolphins a future draft pick. They have the fourth round pick for Ryan Tannehill next year and now a sixth round draft pick for Robert Quinn. And the one that everybody forgets about, and rightfully so, a seventh round draft pick for the Jordan Lucas trade last September. That's 12 picks in total. The Dolphins are in good shape to add more bodies to the roster, but I want to go ahead and dispel one thing I've seen on Twitter quite a bit about this trade-up ammunition because that's not really what it is. You don't really go back to the trade value chart and look at how much those day three picks are, particularly fifth and sixth and seventh round draft picks. You will not get a lot of value for picks later on than the second or third round. The fourth probably being the last round, the teams will actually have a strong interest in doing business with you in terms of going up the draft board. So the Dolphins have positioned themselves to have more draft picks, but I wouldn't necessarily consider those trade pieces. And a good note here from Safid Dean of the Miami Herald, he talked about the future picks that could be used to go up and get a quarterback either this year or 2020, talking about how Miami's 2021 first round draft pick could be used in a trade up on draft day in 2020, a year from now. But it is still 2019 and we are going to get into my 2019 mock draft here in the third segment of the show. Sorry, I had to check my notes there real quick, but I want to go ahead and make a transition here and talk about the fact that there is one guy that I've seen available in a lot of these mock simulators. And frankly, I don't see him being available at 13 because he is an outright freak and the tape always confirmed that for me, but his pro day workout really put him into a different stratosphere. I'm talking, of course, about Houston's Ed Oliver, a five-star recruit who decided to stay at Houston to stay at home and help build up his hometown program, which in itself, to me, is commendable because he could have gone to any school he wanted. But you watch him play at Houston. He constantly gets triple teamed, and I'm not saying that for hyperbole. He gets triple teamed and bowls his way through these triple teams with his insanely powerful shoulders and length and size and brute power. That brute power inside is evident just about every single rep, but he also has the ability to race out to the edge and cut down ball carriers on outside zone runs, and he's a pass rush savant. I just don't see any weaknesses in this guy's game. I think that he has that top level elite defender talent. He should be a top five pick for my money, but it was those timed speeds at his pro day that were just flat out stupid. I mean, literally stupid because a human that size should not be able to move like that. And it'll be the 4.7140 yard dash time that gets Ed Oliver the headlines. But that number is largely irrelevant for most positions on the field. The time that I'm absolutely floored by is his short shuttle. And look at the numbers of some of the guys that compared to Ed Oliver's 4.19 short shuttle time. Antonio Brown. 4.18. He is a hundredth of a second faster in the short shuttle than Ed Oliver. Deshaun Jackson, the exact same time, 4.19. Saquon Barkley, 4.24. Le'Veon Bell, 4.24. Julio Jones, 4.25. And Aaron Donald, everyone's unanimous best interior defensive lineman, probably the best defensive player in the NFL, 4.39, two tenths of a second slower than Ed Oliver and what he did at his pro day. I mean, 
absolutely unreal numbers for a guy that size that plays that many positions on the defensive line. He's the one exception for me to not trade down if he's there, but I will put the caveat in here. I highly, highly doubt he's there, but my God, is he impressive. We'll have a lot more draft talk on the podcast next week. I've talked about it for a couple of weeks now. You should have seen the look on my future wife's face when I told her that I was not bringing the podcast gear to Hawaii and I already have the shows already planned out. You'd have thought that I just told her that I got a Brad Pitt from Fight Club face and body full-on transplant because she was thrilled that I wasn't going to have the podcast or website to work on down in Hawaii. So she's pumped, but still, you guys will not miss any content. Five shows, tons of written content, both from me and our wonderful staff at LockedOnDolphins.com. And next here, after a short break, we're going to get into the Twitter mailbag on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at NFL and the show at LockedOnFins. We don't have much to celebrate as Dolphins fans, at least for the last couple of decades, and probably for most of you, that encompasses your entire football fandom life, as I'm sure most listeners here are probably under an age where we didn't get to see a whole lot of team success from this team. Me, personally, I never saw them go further than the divisional round back in 2000, at least as it pertains to being a very diehard, plugged-in fan going nuts in my dad's living room back in the sixth grade when Lamar Smith broke that big run. But in that time since then, we've basically had a couple of surprise playoff runs to fill us to fill up our fandom tank and keep us going. But it's these little defeats of the Patriots that I guess we celebrate because Greg Schiano, the Patriots' new defensive coordinator, the replacement for Brian Flores, quit his job on Thursday, just out of the blue, said he has to focus on his faith and family, which I I guess that sure sounds nice to go ahead and make those things your priority, but to quit the football job, I don't understand why that would be the case. Are they in disarray? Probably not. But again, it's these tiny defeats of the Patriots that we have to celebrate, and we do it here on the podcast. Right before we jump back into the Twitter mailbag, you guys know the drill by now. I answered the questions on yesterday's podcast. I put out the call on Twitter. You respond with your questions. You get a shout-out on the podcast and get the question answered. We'll go ahead and jump in here first with Tyler Beck. He is at TylerBeck88. I was wondering if you think it would be plausible to look into taking a stab at obtaining C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. I was really impressed with his game tape and would like to hear your opinion on him. You guys know that I watch a lot of Oklahoma because Kyler Murray, to me, is the funnest quarterback to watch on tape I've ever seen. And that's not even an exaggeration. I just think he's that electric. But the one thing you also notice, in addition to Marquise Brown's speed, is C.D. Lamb plucks everything. I absolutely love his game. And I think he'll be a high draft pick next year if he wants to come out after his junior season because that guy can flat out ball. So I'm with you all the way. C.D. Lamb is top shelf receiver material. Next question here comes from Craig Duraway. He is at C 12 on Twitter. Ranch or blue cheese? Hashtag for the boys. I'm all about that ranch, except when you get the blue cheese crumbles 
on a meal that is that is hot enough to melt the blue cheese crumbles enough because I don't like it when they're cold and you have to chew through them, but when they're easier or softer because of the melting, give me that blue cheese crumble. But when it comes to a salad or like carrot sticks or whatever it might be, give me ranch 100% of the time. Next question here comes from Will. He is at Will Reeves with a couple of underscores in there. Round two, Drew Locke or Daniel Jones? Neither, but... Daniel Jones, I wouldn't take him in the seventh round. We'll talk about that on Tuesday's podcast. I'll tell you why I despise his game and hope Miami stays far, far away from the Duke product. Next question comes from Jimmy Osala. He is at Jimmy Osala on Twitter. What are the pros and cons of the new pass interference ruling? It's a great question because I actually had that in my notes for yesterday's show. I just never got around to talking about it. But I think that what it might do, and the NFL has talked about this themselves, that they will try to eliminate some of the more marginal type of challenges in terms of the booth reviews, like the spot of the football, or just that minimal stuff that gets brought up late in games. They might try to scale that back and put more importance on missed calls like this. I think that you should ultimately just take away the coach's challenge in general, like the college game does, and have one central replay guy that buzzes down when it's obvious because those guys have the technology and the instant access to the replay to show you whether or not the play was called correctly or not, and it should be an easy fix in a timely manner. I don't think we have to send refs under the hood to the sideline. Just tell them. Just say, hey, yeah, that was incomplete. I can see it right here on my 60-inch HD TV. You couldn't see it in real time, so let's get it fixed, announce it, and move on. That's how I would do it. I've talked about it with my friend for a long time, how we always see these calls, the first replay they show us, and the refs are over there taking 20 minutes, not really, but you get it, to decipher what the call is. It's, it shouldn't be that tough of a process, and I think that what the NFL is going to have to do is find a way to legislate the overuse or the overabuse of the challenge replay and make it a more streamlined process. So I think that it's great for the game. I want to see calls right at all times, and I'm not that worried about an extra 10 or 15 minutes in the NFL because the NFL is the best three hours of my day when it happens, of my week. I, football's the best. Why would I care if there's more of it? So keep it going. I want to see more more responsibility or more accountability inflicted onto these officials. So I'm all for it. Next question here comes from Cody O'Day at Attraction Law 84. Which receivers do you think Fitz will have good chemistry with? How's that deep ball to stills going to look post Tannehill? I don't think that Fitzpatrick's best part of his game is the fact that he throws a good deep ball. Where his game really excels and shines comes in his anticipation and the fact that he's seen so many coverages and so many defenses and he trusts his eyes and he'll let it rip. And so for that reason, I think guys that can win quickly, like Albert Wilson, for instance, like Jakeem Grant, I think that chemistry will be fantastic in the early going. As far as the deep ball, Kenny Stills often gets open early with a double move or a subtle little shake or a straight go route. And Fitzpatrick will let it go early and give Stills time to adjust to the football. So I think those deep balls will work out too. But it's more about the underneath game for Fitzpatrick. And the way he gets those yardage is the run after the catch because he's so precise in the short rhythm timing passing game. And I think that really meshes well with Albert Wilson. Next question here comes in from Christian. He is at T2000 on Twitter. If Tank Carradine manages to stay healthy, is he the front runner for one of the starting edge positions 
Also, do you think Isaiah Ford is going to be the slot? On the back end of that, no. I don't expect Ford to have much of a future here. I think the new coaching regime and the new coaching staff will ultimately decide to move on from Isaiah Ford. You get injured in your rookie season as a seventh rounder or an undrafted free agent, it's almost impossible to make a career out of it. It sucks, but that's the gravity of the situation. As far as Tank Carradine, I think he has the exact build and style of play they're going to want at that five technique base defensive end position. And it's it's a slow lumbering guy with length and strength and power, heavy hands and eye discipline. And I think that that's what Tank Carradine is. Will he stay healthy? Probably not. But if he does, yeah, I think he will be one of the starters unless they draft multiple defensive ends early in the draft, like a Chase Winovich, like an LJ Collier, or like a Charles Amenahu out of Texas. I think that Carradine has a chance to maybe revert to to resurrect his career and get back into the good graces of the NFL. I've got a question here from Matt Morrissey. He is at mmorrissey72 on Twitter. And Matt asked me about the salary floor and how the Dolphins can get there, or up to the salary floor, rather. And to be completely frank with you, Matt, the money side, the financial side, the number side of that, I I don't want to give you misinformation. And so I don't want to answer that because I just... It's not my strong suit. I, I struggled to get through math my entire life uh, from high school through college. So I'll just go ahead and push that off and say, man, I don't know. I really don't know. I'll try to look into it more for you and get a better answer next time around. But I'm just going to go ahead and pass on that one because I don't have a great answer for you. Next question here comes from Melody Mackey. He is at AKA Manimal Mammal on Twitter. Do you own any pets? And thanks for being such a great podcaster for us diehard fans. Well, I appreciate that very much. And yes, I do. She is a fixture of my Twitter account. Her name is Kona Cat, actually named for our first trip, me and the future Mrs. Wingfield's first trip to Hawaii, our first big trip as a couple. We went to Kona for a week, had a great time, came back, got a cat, named her Kona, and she is my best buddy, man. I love that cat more than life itself. She's with me 24-7 on the couch, in bed, up here writing the podcast, doing the podcast. So yeah, I love that cat. I'm definitely a cat person. I like dogs too. I love all animals. I think that there's good animals and bad animals, and they're usually just a reflection of their owner, but I'm all about having animals. I think that we all have to all need pets in our lives because they're just fantastic. So definitely pro-pet and pro-animal. Okay, we got two more here. One comes from hashtag Tank for Tua. He is at from rags to coins on Twitter. The question is, why going Fitzpatrick when Rosen would be cheaper in the short term with some upside you could coach up? I just don't see the reasoning, even if for a second plus. Look, it comes down to whether or not they actually like the quarterback and... I don't think they like Josh Rosen. It's as simple as that. If you don't like the quarterback, then there's no price worth paying for him. I've talked about him a lot on the podcast, and my answer hasn't changed. They just don't like him, and that's why they don't go after him. Next question here comes from Eric Gafford, and he told me that I keep getting his name wrong when I do these. He is at GTG Eric, as in good to go Eric. So I apologize for getting the name wrong on Twitter. And he says, he's glad that Coach Flores has come out and squashed the notion of tanking. Now that we know for sure that tanking is not an option, does it change your opinion on how many wins we will get this year? No, it doesn't because I was always of the belief they weren't going to actually try to actively lose football games. Now they are not concerned with making this roster a certain level commensurate with winning X amount of games this season. They're pushing assets into 2020. So it's not a tank. But winning is not the top priority. Getting rid of the riffraff on the roster is this year. So my thought was always going to be 5-11. and 11. I'm going to say probably 4-12 and 12 or 5-11 and 11 this year for the Dolphins right now. And if they do better than that, that's great. I would love to see it. So 4-6 to six wins probably is the ceiling for the Dolphins this year. 
Okay, we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast here and do my Friday Dolphins mock draft plus the top five marriages in team history next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. I thought it was fitting to go with the show's intro song, as well as my favorite song ever written by Coheed and Cambria, The Dark Sentencer, on their newest uh, album, The Unheavenly Creatures. Since, I gotta say, right now, life is just going pretty good, and I'm pretty stoked about the upcoming week and just where I am in life right now. And I definitely owe a big thank you to all of you that listen to the podcast and allow me to do this. But we'll come back to that here in a second. I want to first get into my mock draft. And this one is different than what I've been doing lately. Not in the sense that I traded back because once again, I did because I think Miami is going to have to assemble more picks if they want to do this draft the right way in terms of building the roster and the foundation and supplementing the young roster they already have with the guys like Jerome Baker and Raekwon McMillan, Minka Fitzpatrick, Vincent Taylor, Devon Godshaw, Kenyon Drake, Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson, Laramie Tunzel. You guys know the players by now, but I think this year's class could really supplement that group and take it from a pretty good foundation to a really damn good one that we can drop a quarterback in in 2020 and start competing right away because we all are craving a winner in this football team so bad and it's got to happen this time around. I believe it will. I hope it will. And here's a way they can make it happen almost instantly. You trade back again, probably the Raiders or the Colts. I don't know who it's going to be. Just find a partner, short sell it if you have to, get an additional second round draft pick. That's my aim on draft night. Get one more second round pick in the 2019 draft. And with that, we're going to take a guy coming off of an ACL tear working out for the combine. Now, he did have a domestic dispute back in high school where he hit a woman and it was terrible. The video is awful. I will never condone that. But I also believe in second chances and the terms or the word is rather that he has been a model citizen since then. He has earned the second chance. So give me a guy that would be a top five pick if not for the injury and if not for the video in Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle out of Mississippi State. He is your interior pocket collapser and would be a huge get for this defense and push him off into 2020 and watch him go from there and basically give yourself another first round pick, another top five level pick in 2020. So we go Jeffrey Simmons. We come back in the second round with Juan Thornhill, the safety out of Virginia. He becomes that all-important dime safety on, on third down packages in the three safety packages and also probably starts alongside Minka at some point, either this year or next year. Come back in the second round with a pick that we got from somebody else and take Rocky Asin, the cornerback, out of Temple. That gives your cornerback roster pretty much enough bodies that you're going to find a starter out of them opposite Xavier Howard. Plus, if he works out and plays well, you have a rookie contract for four years with Rocky Asin to go along with Xavier Howard's massive payday. He's about to get number three, LJ Collier in the third round out of Texas Christian University. The heavy hands, the eye discipline, the guy has hammers for hands exactly what this team wants at the position in the fourth round Nate Davis the guard out of Charlotte in the fifth round running back James Williams out of Washington State and I left the seventh round draft picks blank because who cares I mean who knows where they're going to be it's just guessing at this point it's guessing for all the picks but the seventh round is a total crapshoot so who the hell knows 
But the bottom line is that I have really, really put this defense in shape to be dominant as early as 2020 when they get the rookie quarterback, which makes things very easy on a rookie quarterback, much like Russell Wilson, his rookie year, much like Ben Roethlisberger in his rookie year, and maybe even to a lesser degree, Baker Mayfield this last season. Okay, let's go ahead and finish this podcast up with a fun little article I put up on LockedOnDolphins.com called The Top 5 Marriages in Miami Dolphins History because it is wedding week here coming up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And in the spirit of my own nuptials, I wanted to talk about the five best pairings in Dolphins history. And usually this is a quarterback head coach thing, but I went ahead and expanded it to the rest of the roster because there have been some fun duos in Dolphins history. And we start with one that is sure to rub the older folks wrong. Number five, Ricky Williams and Ronnie Brown. The 2008 playoff run was born from the Wildcat, whether it was Ronnie's big day in Foxborough or Ricky's game-tying touchdown in that all-important Week 16 game in Kansas City. The Dolphins have not had a backfield duo like that since the 1970s, and that's where number four comes in, Larry Sanka and Mercury Morris. And yeah, Jim Kick does deserve to be on this list as a trio, but everyone knows Sanka as the fullback, Morris as the halfback, the electric big play back in Morris, and Sanka, the tough son of a bitch that would run people over and make business decisions for defenders every time he touched the ball. Number three, Mark Clayton and Mark Duper, the Marx brothers. I had a chance to talk to both these guys back in December when I was at the game for the alumni event pregame, and they are hilarious. These guys are just cracking jokes. They're sipping on their rum and cokes, having a great time in retirement, loving being Dolphins alums, and Clayton was a dominant receiver in his day. He had 18 touchdowns in 1984. That was a record before Jerry Rice became Jerry Rice. He had five 1,000-yard seasons, and Mark Duper had four 1,000-yard seasons. Just crazy production in a time when passing the football really wasn't in vogue until the modern-day game. Number two, Jason Taylor and Zach Thomas. These guys, you wouldn't really call them a marriage or a pair because they don't play the same position, but you couldn't think of one without the other. And under their time in Miami, which were both full of all pros and pro bowls and accolades and defensive players of the year, these guys were in their prime at the same time together. And during that prime, they had four top five scoring defenses in the NFL because of those two one Hall of Famer and one should be Hall of Famer, Jason Taylor and Zach Thomas. And number one is way too easy. Dan Marino and Don Shula, basically number one and number two, depending on how you want to rank that. That's up to you. I won't get into it. On Miami's Mount Rushmore of football players, the 84 season, Shula's back-to-back Lombardis. Those two guys are basically why the Dolphins have any proud history at all because recent times have fallen on hard times, but you go back and Marino and Shula are the reason the Dolphins are as respected or were as respected as they were at those times. So again, a lighthearted piece for you guys here to end the week. Again, next week, I will not be live on the show, but if you want to check out any news hits, Jason Harina has taken over the controls at LockedOnDolphins.com, plus my draft boards for every position for the Miami Dolphins, who they met with at the Shrine Game, at the Senior Bowl, at the Combine, post-Combine, all the information for the Dolphins draft up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And I have to say it one more time for you guys. Thank you all so, so much for listening to the show, for clicking on the website, for engaging with me on Twitter. All this stuff makes my job possible, allows me to go to school and have this be the only income while I'm in school trying to better myself and my wife is soon to be wife 
is super appreciative of it too. You guys seriously make life better for me and I'm so, so thankful for that. And we are very close as I record this podcast on March 28th to getting 100,000 downloads this month. So don't skip any shows. Go back and listen to old ones if you haven't. I want those 100,000 downloads. We will get it if we average our average the next few days. But if we don't get it, each and every one of you is then dead to me. So just know the consequences of that. And with that, let's go ahead and call this a show. Go ahead and call it a podcast. If you guys have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your car, you can pull up the podcast right away. Just say play Locked on Dolphins podcast for your daily dose. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast and the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your weekend. Have a great next week. Enjoy April. Enjoy baseball. Enjoy the March Madness. Be back on a couple of Mondays from now for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Yeah.